Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk. Good evening to our friends watching online. Man, it's a... It's been a good week. I'm, I'm kind of bacheloring it at my house, so I have three dogs and myself that I'm trying to keep track of. Uh, my wife and daughter, my wife and two daughters are gone, and then uh, my son, he's, he's uh, around, but he works a lot, so I'm kind of doing the, like, man, what do I do with my time sitting at home? So I'm, you know, probably bugging people, uh, but I hope your week is going really well, and I hope you're looking forward to a really good summer. How many, and I guess most of our kids are out into city kids, but I'm guessing there's some kids that are pretty excited because summer has officially started, and uh, there might be some moms that are like, oh, I'm not as excited as my kids are, but, but kids are excited uh, to be home and we get to start through uh, summer. We've got a lot planned here at City Walk this summer, and one of the things, before we dive into uh, part three of our series in Mark, one of the things that we're super excited about and I want to make sure you know about is on July 19th through the 23rd, uh, we're going to put on our very first city sports camp. Uh, We're going to do it at Sam Brennan Park. Uh, We've got space for about 85 children, and we're so excited about this. We want to do this, obviously, for our kids that go to our church, but we also want to do this for our community. And I want to encourage you to register your kids But also, man, invite some of those neighbor kids, the kids that you see in the playground to get involved. The the event is actually going to be free. We were able to raise enough money to make it totally free. Uh, We're going to give every kid a t-shirt, a bag, and like a thermos thing for their water. We want it to be a really special week. We're going to share Jesus with kids every single day. And so we're looking forward to it. On your way out today, you'll get a little flyer. And I want to encourage you, invite your friends, kids, and also get your kids registered. And then one thing uh, that just to make note of, if you're there and you're like, you know what, July 19th through the 23rd, the mornings, it's going to be 9 to 12. Man, I've got some time during that that period of time, and I'd like to be involved in, in helping with this sports camp. Next week, right after church, we're going to have uh, just a short lunch meeting in the fellowship hall. And so if you're interested, hey, I'd like to maybe be a part, at least investigate what it would look like to be a part of it. Uh, just join us over there for lunch, and uh, we'll tell you more about it. So, but, but we're excited about it. Uh, when you, as I think back to when I, when I grew up, I want you to try to think back to when you grew up. Remember when you were an elementary age kid, maybe when you entered middle school and high school, maybe all the way back to when you were in preschool. Try, try to think back to that period of time in your life. For me, as I think back to that period of time in my life, I grew up in a family where faith was, was something that was in the rhythm of what we did. Uh, faith was, was a pretty big deal. God was a big deal. Church was a big deal. 
I mean, we definitely had some family drama that we've all been in counseling for since I was a kid. But even in the midst of some family drama, faith continued to be a pretty big deal in our life. Uh, To the point where as I look back, I I look back and I I see it as, man, it was a good experience. It was something that was helpful for me. And when I went away to college, I had a good taste in my mouth about faith and about God and about church. And it was just a, a good thing in my family. Maybe as you think back to when you were a kid, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, maybe you think back and maybe you'd say, my experience was different, Chris. Maybe you grew up in a family that that was a religious family, but for you, it wasn't necessarily a great experience. Maybe for you, you felt like rules and regulations were put before a relationship. And so you kind of grew up with... As you look back now, you would say maybe a skewed picture of who Jesus was and what he was really about. Maybe you'd say, that's kind of how I grew up. That's the background I had. Or maybe you're here and you'd say, hey, Chris, in our family, faith wasn't, just wasn't a thing. We weren't like anti-faith. It just never really was a thing. And I was, I was real happy to sleep in on Sunday mornings and, and, and watch my friends get up early and dress up and go to church. And I... I enjoyed staying home on Sunday mornings. It just wasn't really a thing in my life. Again, we weren't like anti or angry. It just was never part of the rhythm of how I grew up. If you were to look back at when Jesus was walking the earth and when he was growing up, you would see a society where, kind of like our society, where faith played a pretty big part in the society he grew up in and even in the history of the society he grew up in. And Jesus, as he was growing up, he he dealt with people that had quite a few different, maybe religious backgrounds, and there was a lot of different religious expectations. And one of the things that we've seen as we begin to maybe think about how we grew up and and how our experience was, and then we kind of compare it to how Jesus grew up, and and we've been looking at the book of Mark and and, kind of walking through that. One of the things we've seen, and we'll see again today, is that Jesus grew up in a society where, man, yeah, religion was a big part of it, and there was a lot of regulations, there was a lot of expectations, and when Jesus came on the scene, he surprised everybody. He surprised the religious people, and he surprised the people that were like, we sleep in on Sunday mornings, and we're, we're not really part of that. Like, he, he surprised all of them in how he dealt with things that were so sacred in that society. And Mark tells us, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3, he tells us of two instances in Mark chapter 3 where Jesus dealt very straightforwardly with the religious society and some of the religious leaders of his day. And as he dealt with these people, every time he kind of dealt with them and talked with them, people left with their jaw dropped. Like, what just happened? And you're going to see that today as Jesus talks to some people that are very religious and he leaves them surprised and in some cases very angry. Mark chapter 3, the the first place that we see Jesus kind of interacting with some religious folks in Mark chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, it says, Jesus entered the synagogue, which was basically church, the local place of worship. He entered the synagogue again. 
So this wasn't like, well, Jesus, he goes to church on Easter and Christmas. No, he, like, he goes regularly because I mean, he's going to the synagogue again. This is part of his rhythm. He's not like, hey, are you new to church? No, he's been there. He's there. I mean, people know who he is. And it says, there was also a man there who had a shriveled hand. So there was this guy along with Jesus and probably a lot of other people that had some type of deformity or kind of paralyzed, something was wrong, whether he got it hurt in an accident, whether it was something that a disease caused, or maybe it was something he was just born with. The the writer, Mark, he, he says, hey, Jesus, he goes to the church, he goes to the synagogue, and there's this guy there with a shriveled hand. And there was also another group there, and this is where the religious leaders come in. It says this, In order to accuse him, they, speaking of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So these religious leaders, Jesus is just, man, he's just got a cup of coffee and he's just happy to be coming to church. He's going to do some teaching, man. He's looking forward to a great day and he gets there and there's the Pharisees are there and their goal is not to be there and worship. Their goal is to basically catch Jesus doing something he shouldn't so they can accuse him because he's a threat to them. And so here's what they're thinking. They're thinking, okay, there's this guy. We know Jesus loves people, and he's all merciful. So we've got him right where we want him. There's Jesus and this guy that needs to be healed. And we want to see, is Jesus going to break the Sabbath rule and heal someone on the Sabbath? So the religious leaders in this this society that they grew up in, you were able to heal somebody on the Sabbath if their life was in danger. But if their life was in danger, you had to wait till the Sabbath day was over. So anybody, you'll have to come back because your life's not in danger. And, and here's kind of just to give you a little bit of context. When God chose the nation of Israel and said, hey, you're going to be my people. What he did is he said, hey, I want to give you some regulations. I want to give you some rules. I want to give you some, some things that are going to help you flourish. And so he said, hey, one of those things is this. I want you to work hard. I want you to be active for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I want you to reflect. I want you to be refreshed spiritually. I want you to be refreshed physically. I want you to take that seventh day and not work. But what had happened was God made this regulation to help because he loved them and this would help them. But the religious leaders have said, hey, God's rule isn't good enough, so we're going to add a lot of other things on top of it. So they added all these other loopholes and things you couldn't do, and you can only walk this far. And I mean, it was like, how do you even keep up with this stuff? And so they're, they're watching this guy, and they're watching Jesus, and they're saying, all right, let's see. Let's see if he's going to do it, and we've got him if he does it. And so here's Jesus. He says, he told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Basically, we all know what's happening here. We're not going to hide this. Hey, buddy, just come out in front of everybody. I'm not going to hide this. And then it says this in verse 4. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. So Jesus brings the guy out into the, the middle and says, okay, we, we all see like this guy has a shriveled hand. And let me just, let, let me throw out a question, guys. 
Is it okay for me to be nice to people on the Sabbath, or do I have to be mean to them? Basically, hey, can I help the old lady walk across the street on the Sabbath, or am I only allowed to throw her in front of the bus on the Sabbath? I mean, it's not a trick question. There's an obvious answer, and Jesus, he just throws it out to them. And these guys, because they knew they were wrong, they didn't say anything. And so what Jesus does here is he's, as he's talking to these guys, he's trying to elevate this thing from their law to what, what did God really intend? And he's saying, hey guys, let's strip away all your regulations, and if we were to go back what God intended, would we take care of this guy? See, the foundation to all the laws and procedures and regulations that God gave Israel the foundation of all those things were two things, and the first one's in Deuteronomy, and it's simply this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. At the foundation to every single rule, regulation that God gave Israel was this idea. And the second thing was we find in Leviticus, and it's simply, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So all, all the things that God gave Israel to do that he thought would help them flourish, were he, he gave them to them so that they could better love God and they could better love their neighbor. And Jesus is saying, hey guys, strip away all your craziness, all your regulations, all your extra things, and let's go all the way back to what God really intended. And am I allowed to help this guy or should I just kick him on the Sabbath? And again, because these guys had nothing to say, because these guys knew they were wrong, they didn't say anything. And so it says this in verse 5, after looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. The lack of compassion that these religious leaders were showing this man and the way they were putting their rules in front of God's heart and in front of loving this guy the way God wanted him to, it made Jesus angry, but it also, it grieved his heart. It bothered him. See, I grieve the heart of Jesus when I use my religion as a weapon instead of an avenue to love God and others. But let me say that again, and it'll be up on the screen. I grieve the heart of Jesus, and you could put your name in there. I grieve the heart of Jesus when I use my religion as a weapon instead of an avenue to love God and others. And for some of you, this is the reason you walked away from the church. This is the reason for a season of your life you totally threw in the towel because you saw people use their religion as a weapon. When God intended religion and the things we do to be ways and avenues to show love for God and love for others. I don't know about you, and I'm not going to get political because I've, I've always committed not to do that. We want to keep Jesus our lead story here at City Walk. But you can look at both sides of the aisle, no matter who you are, what you are, and if you, no matter what you are, you think Jesus would be that. 
If you're a Democrat, you think Jesus would be a Democrat. If you're a Republican, you're like, oh, how could he be a Democrat? Like we all, we all kind of think Jesus would be on our side. But I don't know about you, but it grieves my heart sometimes when I see people sign Jesus's name to things Jesus would have never signed his name to. One of the things that broke my heart in the last year is like it broke your heart, like it broke hearts of people from all sides of the aisle was the Capitol riots. And one of the most grieving things to me about the whole thing is as I'm watching this thing take place, I see huge banners with Jesus' name on it. And I'm like, you know what? Please don't sign Jesus' name. Please don't blame Jesus for this. Please don't sign Jesus' name to this. Because Jesus would, man, he, he never wanted us to use our religion for things that weren't loving God and loving others. And these religious leaders, they had gotten it so backwards. What, what, what started as a, a, a regulation that God had given to, to help people love God better and love others better, they had stacked all kinds of rules on it. And now there's a man that's in desperate need and the solution's right in front of him. And instead of cheering Jesus on and like, man, let's help this guy out, they're angry. They're, they have no compassion. They're, they've used their religion and their rituals to benefit themselves instead of using it to love God and love others well. And this made Jesus angry and it grieved him. And it says this, the rest of the verse, it says that Jesus told the man, stretch out your hand. And his hand was restored. Immediately, the Pharisees went out. And started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Like, Jesus, did you hurt someone? Jesus, did you do something? No, I healed a guy. I, I helped a guy. I changed a guy's life. Well, let's kill him for that. See, and this is what's so sad. The, the religious leaders were so close to Jesus, yet they missed it. They missed it because he was a threat to their power. He was a threat to, to what they were trying to do. And so instead of embracing or at least leaning in a little bit, they, they got angry and they wanted him gone. They wanted him destroyed because he was a threat. And unfortunately, sometimes we do the same things. Sometimes we're so close to Jesus and we, we, we see Jesus do things and we see Jesus work in people's hearts and, and instead of leaning in, there's so much pride or we love our lifestyle so much that, that man, we have all the opportunities to have our life changed and we're so close to, to maybe taking a step to follow Jesus closer and yet we stiff arm Jesus because he's a threat to our pride or he's a threat to our lifestyle. And what's really sad is there's men and women that were next to Jesus that are now spending eternity in a place called hell because they never embraced him when he was so close to them. Mark goes on and he kind of continues to talk about Jesus after this kind of interaction with the religious leaders just like has happened in the past. If you're reading through Mark, Jesus' popularity grew. 
He got so popular, and Mark tells us in, in, you know, in this chapter that he got so popular, the crowds got so big that instead he had to actually get in a boat and be pushed away from the shore a little bit so he wouldn't get crushed while he was teaching. I mean, this was just mobs of people that were coming to be near Jesus. They wanted to be close to him. It was also during this time, right after this interaction with the religious leaders, that Jesus chose his 12 apostles. And this is important to a lot of us because for 2,000 years, little boys have been getting names based on who Jesus chose. And so we've got a lot of Peters, we've got a lot of Johns, we've got a lot of, and it's because, hey, these were guys in the Bible that Jesus chose, and, and those names are popular names. But then what Mark does is he says, hey, let me tell you about one other interaction. And this is Mark and Peter, they're the ones kind of putting this together. This, we, we believe Mark got most of his information from Peter. And so he says, let me tell you about another interaction that Jesus had with some religious leaders. And this one closes with one of the most controversial passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And, and so we're going we're gonna to skip down to verse 22. We're going to skip verse... And we're going to dive into this other interaction where the religious leaders, after some family drama that Jesus has with his family, the religious leaders see an opportunity to maybe peg Jesus again. And so this is what they say in verse 22. It says, the scribes, experts in Jew- they're, they're, they're the experts in Jewish law who had come down from Jerusalem, said, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. Basically, they accuse Jesus. They're like looking at Jesus or seeing all the stuff he's done. And so they, they say, you know what? We think Jesus is empowered by Satan. We think Jesus is driving out demons, but he's empowered by Satan. One of the things you'll, you'll notice, and, and maybe if you grew up in a religious family and you kind of walked away from it, People that get religion wrong say some really weird things. Like, they make no sense. And this, this is one of those things, like, guys, you're pretty smart guys. You're like the smart guys in this system. And they say, hey, he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So verse 23 says this, so he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. So Jesus is like, okay, that's pretty interesting that you would think that. But, but let me ask you a question, guys. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? He's like, I- I'm not trying to embarrass you guys. I mean, you're the smart ones, but help me out with this answer. Like, how is Satan going to go actually drive himself out? I don't, I don't understand this. And Jesus goes on. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself... That house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. Basically, if Satan is fighting himself, then the end's already here. He's already defeated. Remember, I don't know if you, you ever played this game, but when I would wrestle, I, was, I grew up in a house with three boys. And I was the oldest of three boys. And one of the things we would do, just like probably most houses with three boys and, and their dad, they, we did some wrestling. And so we would wrestle with dad, and, and dad was, my dad's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so he was always bigger and stronger than us, and, uh, but he was gentle, and we'd be wrestling, and one of the things he would do kind of playfully is when we'd be wrestling, he'd grab one of our hands, and he'd hit, and he'd, hey, stop hitting yourself, Chris, stop hitting yourself, Chris, 
And, and he never did it hard, but he, he just was poking at us and kind of wrestling with us. And so having fun with us. And he would be, and he was stronger than us. So I was like, you know, I can't stop hitting myself until you stop. Uh, but, but we had fun with that. Well, in this, in this setting, Satan's a pretty smart guy. He's not punching himself in the face. He's not, you know what? I think my strategy is going to be punching myself in the face. That's going to be a great strategy to defeat God. No, not, Satan's not doing that. And, and so, this makes so this makes no sense at all. And Jesus kind of goes on and he, he kind of tells a little bit of a story like, let me lay this out for you a little clearer, guys. He says this, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, you know why I'm able to free people from the power of evil? Because I'm stronger than evil. I don't cooperate with Satan. I defeat him and will one day ultimately destroy him. I'm not getting my power from Satan. No, I'm stronger than Satan. I have the ability to shut him down, and I am doing that, and I will destroy him in the end. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you should respect Satan, but you should never fear him. And Jesus, this is what he's saying. He's like, if I was to walk in your house and steal your stuff and you were there, I would have to be stronger than you because you wouldn't let me do that. Just like I wouldn't let you do that at my house. You would have to overpower me in order to do that. And so Jesus is like, that, 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 that just only makes sense for me to interact with Satan in this way. I have to be stronger. We're not equal. He wouldn't let me defeat him if we were equal. And so Jesus is making this, this just like, duh, statement. But these guys, because they're so focused on trying to catch Jesus. And so, man, they're pulling at straws. Anything we can do to stop Jesus, to stop him from what he's doing, to find ways to accuse him. And so Jesus, he, he says that. And then what he does is he finishes this passage. And this is the few verses that have probably become the most controversial, maybe most misunderstood verses, maybe in the whole Bible. Jesus says this, verse 28. He says, truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. The word never? Does he really mean never? And, and this eternal sin, is there, is, there, is there really something that I can do? That, is there like one thing? Is there like this one unpardonable sin, which I've heard all kind of different stuff. Is, is there one unpardonable sin that I can follow Jesus, I can believe in him, but if I accidentally do this one thing, it wipes it all out. I've heard from some people that this one thing is suicide. Like you can follow Jesus and you can do all the things that, that you're supposed to. You can have a relationship with God. But if in the end 
you're going through tough times and you take your own life, it basically wipes out everything and you're going to spend eternity without God. That's what I've heard. I've talked to people on the phone that have been so broken and scared because someone in their family took their own life and they think there's no hope for them to be in heaven. So is that what Jesus is saying? Is he saying that there's one thing that basically if if you have a relationship with me except for this one clause, you spend eternity in hell if you accidentally do this one thing. So, so let's, you, you guys ready to go, go to the deep end of the pool for just a second? All right, let's, let's go to the deep end of the pool for just a second. Let me put something up on the screen. Uh, and, and, and this is basically, I want to explain to you like what was really happening right here and then how it affects us today. Basically, blaspheme of the Holy Spirit was attributing the works of Jesus done under the power of the Holy Spirit that proved he was Messiah to, to Satan. So, so these guys, these religious leaders were saying, hey, these works that you're doing, that you're doing to prove to the world that you are God, to prove to the world that you're Messiah, to prove to the world that you're able to save, those works that you're doing, we're going to attribute those works to Satan. And basically, and, and you can kind of read, read the rest of this, but This was a sin that in the specific sense was regulated to a certain time because of a certain circumstance. So this is not something that you can even do today because Jesus isn't here proving to us that he's the Messiah. So this was a specific thing where they were rejecting the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit was doing to draw people to Jesus and rejecting the fact that Jesus was God and Messiah And because of that, Jesus says this. So how does that affect us today? Today, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to conviction of sin and the realization that they must come to God through Jesus alone for forgiveness of sin. Trusting that He is God and His sacrifice was sufficient to take away sin. So if, if we reject that, then there's no sacrifice for our sins, and we will perish in hell forever. So today, you, there's, there's not a sin where you say, hey, I'm going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say the wrong thing and attribute Jesus' works to Satan. That's not even a thing, because Jesus is Messiah. We know that. So we can't even commit that sin. But what we can do is we can reject the Holy Spirit's work today. And what's the Holy Spirit's work? The Holy Spirit, basically, His job is to draw us into a relationship with God. He draws us. And some of us could share testimonies of how the Holy Spirit drew us into a relationship with Jesus. And if we reject that, that's our way to have a relationship with God. That's our way to spend eternity with God. And so if we reject that, we can't go to heaven, and we can't have a relationship with God. There's, Jesus said there's only one way. And so you don't have to walk through life like, okay, did I, did, was today, did I accidentally do the thing that, you know, now is like, oh, well, that's it. I'm out. No. If you have leaned into the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit was drawing you into a relationship with God, you said yes 
then you have a relationship with God. And we believe, and we'll talk about this at a different time, that once you have a relationship with God because you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. If you could lose it, then it wasn't a gift. Like if it's like, hey, Jesus said, no, this is a gift. This is, you didn't earn this. You didn't deserve this. I'm giving you this as a gift. And if, and, if, and if I can lose it, that means that I have to work for it. And so we know the Bible tells us very clearly that once you're a follower of Jesus, your life should show it and you can't lose it. I know some of you, you may have grown up in a, in a religious system where, hey, you could be a follower of Jesus, but man, if you had a really bad week, you kind of lost it and you have to kind of go back and do it again. Well, that's not what the scripture says. And so if you look at somebody's life and say, hey, well, they, they say they're a follower of Jesus and their life doesn't match up, here's what I would probably tell you. Probably they never were a follower of Jesus. They may have said they were because the Bible says when we become a follower of Jesus, when we believe the gospel, that we become new on the inside, that old things become new and we are transformed. And so if we're not transformed, it might be because we never had a relationship with Jesus in the first place. Because you don't lose it. You probably just never had it. I mean, there are, there are circumstances where, hey, I had a, I've had a bad season in my life, and there's, you know, where we backslide and we have to refocus and ask forgiveness. Absolutely. We've all had those probably. But if, if you can live your life against God don't go back and point to like, hey, when I was four years old, I said a prayer. That prayer didn't mean anything if it didn't transform you. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, the scripture says you will be transformed. That old things will become new. And here's the beautiful thing, and none of this is in my notes that I've been saying, but I feel like I want to say this. Here's the beautiful thing. Just like you needed Jesus' help to be saved, you need and I need Jesus' help every single day to follow him. I need Jesus' help as much as I did to come, become his follower to love my wife well. I need Jesus' help as much as I did when I became a follower of him and believed the gospel to treat my kids the right way. I need as much help from Jesus today. I'm as desperate for him to help me live for him as I was to become his follower. And so that's really important. And that's why we, we, our mission statement here at CityWalk is we want to walk with people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Once we have a relationship with Jesus, the, the goal is that then we become more like Jesus with our actions and he helps us do that and, and so as we we start to close I want you to think about this the Holy Spirit is active he, he's at work in our hearts today there is not you're not here by accident you're not watching online because it by accident but but God wants to do something in every single one of us and it's either the Holy Spirit wants to draw us into a relationship with God or he wants to help us grow in that relationship and so it really comes down to our response. And there's really three responses. And I want you to think about your own life. There's the first response, and this is a pretty obvious one, is we can reject him. 
We can reject him, kind of the, hey, my life, my way. I'm going to do my life my own way. I appreciate Jesus, what you did. That's very admirable what you did. But you know what? I'm going to kind of do my own thing. I'm going to live my life my own way. I don't really want you in my life. And so we can do that. The, The second response is we replace him. This is religion without a relationship. This is, this is when, hey, I go to church, I give money, I serve, I try to live a good life, and, but, but do you have a relationship with Jesus? It'd be like you coming up to me and saying, hey, how's your relationship with Lori? How are you guys doing? And if I immediately said, well, I mow the lawn, uh, I put the toilet seat down, uh, I put my dirty clothes in the right basket. I loaded the dishwasher for her while she's on her little trip. And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm not worried. About, I mean, that's all good. I'm sure she'll be happy about that. But, but I don't care what you're doing for her. Like, how's your relationship, your intimacy, your relationship with her? Well, let me continue to tell you all the things I do for her. No, 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 no. And that's what we do with Jesus. We allow our religion to replace our relationship, and we, as long as we can check five or six boxes, like I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, sometimes we replace him with all this stuff that we do. Or the third option is we can walk with him. This is a relationship that leads to transformation. This is where I grow in my love for God and my love for others. And as I walk with Jesus, I begin to look more and more like him. This isn't a walk of shame. This isn't a walk of guilt. This is a a walk with somebody who loves me dearly, who wants the best for me, who knows the right way to go, who gave his life for me, and he's walking with me, and he's helping me become more like him. That's what walking with him is. It's not perfection. It's not like I never have a bad day. It's I have a savior that gives me hope every day and helps me. My religious activities become an avenue for me to love God and love others. They do not become a substitute. And this is so important. Maybe maybe read that statement again. When, When I'm walking with Jesus and it's a healthy walk, my religious activities, Jesus isn't anti-religious like, activities. He's not anti-the you know, different rituals that maybe different people do. No, he's just saying, hey, those things should be avenues to love God and love others well. They shouldn't be substitutes for that. Like, I, I'm a jerk to my neighbor, but I go to church on Sundays. Yeah, I, I yell and scream at my wife, but I put $20 in the offering at church. Who cares? Jesus, the scripture says that there's going to be a day where Jesus is going to look at people and say, people are going to say, but Jesus, I did this for you. 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 And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Thanks for all the stuff you did, but we never had a relationship. And so as we, we close, I want you to think back. I want you to think back to when you, where you grew up and how religion was looked at. And for some of you, man, it was a tough go. And, and man, there was, you probably had some good reason to walk away from the church. And, and you had a jacked up kind of picture of Jesus because of what you saw. And I, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. But as we walk through the book of Mark, you see that Jesus is, he leans into people who are broken, who are hopeless, 
who know they need him. And so if you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and you'd say, hey, Chris, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Would you lean in? Would you continue to lean in? Like, Chris, I, my, my version of Jesus that I grew up with, I, I know it's a little bit messed up based on what I'm starting to learn. Would you just continue to lean in? And if you are ready to, you're like, man, I've been leaning in and I'm ready to start a relationship with Jesus. How do you do that? Would you just, in your heart, you can just tell God, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I admit to you I've broken your commandments, but I believe that Jesus died for me, that he rose from the grave for me, and I want to step into a relationship with you. I want you to save me. You can do that. You can do that right where you're sitting. And if you're not ready to do that, would you at least lean in? Maybe you're here and you'd say, and there's a lot of you watching online, or you're here, and a lot of you guys, you're like, man, there's been a day I've already done that. I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, maybe ask yourself, do I let myself replace Jesus sometimes? Do I let my activity replace intimacy with Jesus? I'm doing a lot of stuff for him, but I'm cold inside. And maybe for you, it's just a, a time where you just have to, just between you and God, you just need to repent. You just need to say, God, I've, I've made activity more important than intimacy with you. And I repent. I am wrong. Help me to do it differently. And then lean in. Lean in. If you haven't already, pick up one of the, one of the devotionals at the next steps. And we're walking through the book of Mark. We're going to read through Mark 4 this week to prepare for, for next week. Lean in and let God work. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for just a story in Mark, and I thank you for uh, Mark writing this, and Lord, we, we need to hear these things. Lord, it is so easy to allow our activity to replace our intimacy. And Lord, we, like the religious leaders of the time you walk the earth, are, are really good at that sometimes. And Lord, I pray in just the quietness of this room and, and those watching online that you would speak to us individually. And if we've been replacing you, Lord, I pray that we would in this moment just repent and say, I was wrong. Help me to, to lean into intimacy, not just activity. And in fact, let my activity come from my intimacy. If you're here and you would say, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but man, I'm, I'm leaning in and, and I feel the Holy Spirit kind of drawing me and, and wanting me to today, make today the day that I follow Jesus. Just in the quietness of this room, are you willing to just in the quietness of your heart, just admit to God that you're a sinner? Just, hey, God, I, I'm, I admit I've, I've broken your commands. I admit that. Are you willing to believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave that he did that for you? And are you willing to this morning just come to him? Just come to him and say, Jesus, I want to start a relationship with you that transforms me while I'm here on earth and gives me a place with you when this thing's over. If you're here and you would like to do that, you can do that right in your 
just right in your seat, would you say something like this to God? And this, you put this in your own words. This prayer doesn't save you. What saves you is what you believe in your heart. And we just tell God what we believe in our through prayer. Just say this to God. Say, God, just in your heart, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I've broken your commands. I admit it. God, I believe, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that for me. Right now, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I want to start a relationship with you. Come into my life and transform me. In the quietness of this room, maybe you're watching online. If you're here this morning and you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. You started a relationship with God today. Right in front of you is a little card that says decision on it. And, and over the next few minutes, as the band kind of closes us out in a song, and then we do some announcements, would you just take that card and fill it out? And then you can just drop it in the offering basket on your way out. Or if you don't want to do that, you can actually just leave it right in your chair and and just tell us about the decision you made. And we won't bug you this week. We'll just probably call you once and check in on you. But we want to help make sure you understand that decision and just be a help to you in any way possible. Lord, thank you for your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.